0: Hello everyone, and welcome to another episode of our podcast.: I'm kind of reversing an earlier decision here. Um, we've been producing podcasts and videos, articles and um, holding conversations and pointed training directions and instructions, question and answer back and forth, etc, um, on our Patreon page. Again, remember my reason for that is um, there's just a deep down disgust, I guess, right? Let's be honest. In me for participating in the intertrainment that plagues most of Aikido today. People that more like the idea of Aikido than the actual training. It's very common. Every kind of way throughout human history, as the masses come to adopt it, it degenerates and becomes impure in some way. And it's really up to each individual practitioner, ultimately, when it reaches that kind of state, to stop participating in it, to pull oneself out. So the whole intertrainment mass appeal is so supported by the the free dissemination of information, but behind that, the entitlement, the something for nothing attitude, that supports training schedules made up of a few days a week, a couple hours. No longer understood and exposed for its futility, etc. In that kind of world, it doesn't take much to separate out people. So the Patreon paywall is only $5 a month. But even people who consider themselves very serious in their training or very interested in my understanding or my take on things still can't find five dollars a month. So obviously it's not there to make money but it it does function as design and we've been regularly producing there and the podcasts were part of that and they're going to remain that um, but I'm not without a sense of compassion maybe and so there's some people that have made it in their world impossible to meet a $5 a month contribution and uh, still want the information. So in that light, every once in a while we'll produce something that is outside of the Patreon group, and this is one of those podcasts. Again, I would encourage all of you to uh, find the discipline and the commitment within you to make it over the farce of a $5 contribution towards one's own training. And join us on Patreon. We're doing a lot of great work there. And people that are there and engaged um, are making the most out of this technology, social media, and definitely moving it where it has real, real world effects and a practical outcome and it's not just looking at videos and thinking cool. So join us on Patreon, please. And uh, you have to join our entry membership in order to receive all the content. And again, that is the membership tier that's only $5 a month. If you If you just join for free, you won't see the content. All right. What happened here is we've received these questions from a follower, and uh, I've opted to uh, make this available as I answer her questions. And maybe other people will find it of interest. I think those on Patreon have realized that we've kind of Made a lot of efforts recently to make this stuff clear. Um, but I think it would still behoove you to listen to this episode and see if you have an accurate understanding of things. In my opinion, these questions come from a lack of self reflexivity, and particularly the effect that one's own history and one's own culture has on them in many ways a a culture is a kind of discourse and as a discourse it's a kind of way of thinking and seeing perceiving the world and so culture comes to affect us on not only what questions are asked but what questions are askable and likewise it comes to frame what questions have to be asked and because Budo is of a pre-modern culture, of a culture that does not exist any longer, it's not in Japan right now, it's not in modern Japan, there's a lot of what I call archaeology, bar- borrowing that term from Michel Foucault. There's a lot of archaeology that a person has to do to understand what Budo is, how it functions, and thus how to practice it. And the biggest mistake you can do is try to understand it with your own current modern discourse? And all of these questions that I'm going to list here, they all come from the point of view of accepting one's own cultural discourse as if it has no history, as if it represents some sort of objectivity outside of time in and of itself, and that I can place back on a pre-modern system of thought and practice and supposedly come to understand it. And this is just not true. So where necessary and where possible, I'll point out this kind of what I call an epistemic rift. It's where the current modern cultural discourse so does not fit with the pre-modern discourse of Budo that there remains a canyon of ignorance between the two and thus for us as the person asking the question so I'll point out where the epistemic rift is and hopefully by the end I'll give you the solutions that I have landed on as someone that has bridged that epistemic rift and as someone that has has led and is leading people across it so just to refresh everyone's memory I did my bachelor's my master's and my doctorate work in the historical and cultural understanding of Japanese religion, but my emphasis there was on systems of thought. In other words, I wasn't studying the culture of pottery, for example, how, how was pottery made, or things like that. I, I was studying the discourses, how people actually thought, what was their thinking structure, what generated Reality and how was it generated? What was the possibility of imagination itself? That was the emphasis of my work Obviously that has led me and serves me well In my bridging of the epistemic rift, but that work was over decades One could easily follow that same trail, but you have decades ahead of you before you even get to the actual practice on the other side of the epistemic rift, if you follow that route. So what I've done is, as a modern teacher, as a teacher existing in the modern era, I've come up with what, in essence, are expedited ways of bridging that rift. My whole goal there is, again, the outcome, not the academic understanding. There's an emphasis on practice, in other words. More what, what will serve you in being able to do something with the information that you're learning, that you're studying, that you're exposing yourself to. And when we talk about do something, we're really talking about allowing you to become something. A lot of times in those over a decade research, that was not the emphasis. The emphasis is on an intellectual understanding of things. The two don't overlap, and as you see, the emphasis on an intellectual understanding is part of the modern discourse and is not part of the pre-modern practice. So one has to be very careful when they are unconsciously, almost as if driven by a current unknown and unfelt to them, to seek an intellectual understanding because it's just part of the modern discourse. And when you make it across the rift, you're going to see that the pre-modern discourse gave very little value to the intellectual understanding, making the modern discourse that emphasizes an intellectual understanding even more problematic. So the breakdown that I give people in how to understand the practice of Budo is geared towards a practical outcome, an action, a being, a becoming It's not geared towards an intellectual understanding. But it's also geared towards somebody who is by default of existing today, predisposed to emphasize an intellectual understanding. So addressing somebody's predisposition for an intellectual understanding of this practice, and to expedite their ability to bridge the rift... For the sake of expediting things, I've simplified things. But the emphasis is always on practice, on action, on becoming, not on understanding. So towards that end, taking decades worth of research, decades now of practicing on the other side of the rift, speaking to an audience who's predisposed to overprioritize in the intellect and the need to understand. I have divided up and summarized in that division countless variations on a technology of self that arose geographically along the Silk Road. And that summation is to emphasize ultimately the mind and for a practical sake, divide that mind up apophatically, like those cultures did, into two aspects. Now this mind, as I've recently written, which you may or may not have access to, is not the post-Freudian mind. It's not the mind of modern psychology. So it's not the brain. It is, to simplify it, our experience of the world. there are two ways to experience the world. There is one experience of the world, by which I call the ego-tripartite mind. And there is another way of experiencing the world, which I call the God-mind. But like those Silk Road cultures, they understood these things dichotomously, yes, for example, such as yin and yang. But their system of thought utilized apophatic logic. So for example, the God mind is an apophatic term, meaning it's not another positive manifestation of something. Hence you can say there is the ego-tripartite mind, and there is the God mind, Someone in the know would understand that, but you can also apophatically say the God-mind is the cessation of the ego-tripartite mind. Now these are specialized terms, meaning they're my terms. You have to understand them. They're terms that are geared towards the practical outcome of becoming, of being. They are upayak, in the Buddhist sense of the word. They are Skillful instruction, meaning they're instructions designed to produce a skill within you. They're models for a practice. So in prior podcasts, we've discussed what is the ego tripartite mind. Well, the God mind is when those things stop. When you stop experiencing the world through those things. So the God mind is not something... Because it's apophatic, it's not something that you generate through your intention or your will or your desire. In fact, will, desire, intention being elements of the functioning of the ego-tripartite mind means that ego-tripartite mind has not ceased in its functioning and hence there's no experience from the God-mind. Now, apophatic logic is extremely foreign to the modern discourse, and this has led many, if not all, Aikidoka astray. Is there, they don't have any outlet for understanding this kind of thinking, because it has been, through a popular scientistic Not scientific, through a popular scientism done away with as illogical, when in fact it's not. And this inability to think apophatically and to understand the ultimate reason behind apophatic logic has led many a modern Aikidoka astray. It's what ultimately has led Aikido here in air quotes, spirituality, but like all modern religions, to be void of practice, to be void of skill in becoming, and to become purely intellectual things that at best function at the level of metaphor or analogy or symbol. This is why, for example, and to give you a simple example, Many Aikidoka will talk about Aiki or talk about harmony or talk about non contestation, but even when you watch their kihonwaza, it is filled with disharmony and contestation. And if you come off of the mat and you watch their lives, they are even further away from harmony. Communion, Aiki. Pre moderns understanding this knew full well that someone can talk the talk without necessarily being able to walk the walk. And hence a deprioritization over the intellect and an understanding of the intellect as just one aspect of the ego tripartite mind functioning meaning one more obstacle to the experience of the God mind again from our cultural point of view as moderns because this is the way culture works culture gets deep into your nerves and your marrow your guttal reactions Because culture is ultimately the ego-tripartite mind functioning. And so it gets into your fears as much as it gets into your desire. And the idea that you should engage in a practice, whether you understand it or not, to a person of a culture where the intellect is held as, if not the highest, one of the highest aspects of our beingness, that idea is terrifying, abhorrent, And we have our own myths that tell us, don't do it, warning us against it. It is is no accident that on the one hand, we have come to change the meaning of faith. We changed it into something that means uh, something you believe in, even if it doesn't make sense. That is not what the premoderns held as faith. And at the same time, we are a faithless culture. Now, we've had many modern understandings of pre-modern technologies of self, and that has confused a lot of modern Aikidoka. A lot of people that are trying to understand Budo, because what they've done is... They've ignored that there's an epistemic rift between the two cultural discourses, and they're trying to look at a historical entity from a modern point of view, not realizing that that I, and the thought that goes with it, the thought, the framework with which that I sees, has a history. And so it sees only to support its own self. This is why, and we know, as I've said before, this is one, if not the main aspect of the ego-tripartite mind. It is an egoic experience of the world whose main task is to reify that egoic experience. So you look at the past, the pre-modern technology of Budo, with the modern eye, You can only see what that modern eye allows you to see. And people have done that. They've done that with Shinto. They've done it with Budo. They've done it with Zen. They've done it with Chan. They've done it with Tao. And you've read those books. And you've practiced those religions as they've come to exist in our own culture through our own modern discourse. So today you go, for example, in modernity, the modern discourse prioritizes the intellect, prioritizes understanding. Most, if not all, modern religions just have no experiential level to them at all, where they once did. And with no experiential level, and they're now intellectual things, they're now underth- understanding things, the very setting in which they take place, church, temple, garden grounds, etc., actually replicate without very much deviation, our modern classrooms. Sit down in this auditorium, line yourselves up, sit in a line, face the person that's speaking, be quiet, and listen to words bridging the distance of the space between you, the audience, and the speaker. And seek to understand. And after the speaker is done speaking, there'll be a time for questions so you can understand more, and then go home. This is a very new idea, but it's everywhere in modern religion. The experiential level has been taken out. It's been taken out because as that rift form between pre-modern technology of self and modern technology of self, the ontology changed meaning how does a human being conceive of the self of the, of being human how does it changed hence why i say the mind of budo is not the post freudian mind that's a different understanding a different system of thought and every system of thought is a practice it just so happens that modern practice is no practice no practice beyond the thinking of it. To put it simply, the body has been taken off the table. This is why you can you sit still in your pew. You sit still in your chair. You sit still on your yoga mat. You just stay there. This is also why, by extension you have the kind of bodies you have in modern Aikido. They're not fit bodies. They're not supple bodies. They're not the bodies of pre-modernity. They're not strong. They're frail and stiff. And so the training does not have to be of a kind. That would produce a body that is not frail and not stiff. And so you see that happening too. And this is why you generated in modernity the possibility of understanding Aiki, communion, non-contestation outside of a body that could actually produce it. You just have to understand it intellectually. And because you don't have to actually embody it, it doesn't matter if you actually manifest it physically in Kihonwaza nor outside of the dojo. And it can and it will, because that's the way culture works, it can and it will look to you like that is unproblematic. In fact, telling you As I have told you, the things that I've told you are actually very problematic because they subvert your cultural discourse. I am dangerous. I am rogue. I'm to not be trusted. This is what Nietzsche meant when he said, I am dynamite. I write for other generations, meaning other cultures. Because he's exposing the underbelly of his own culture. And that exposure is dangerous. It's deemed dangerous. And you're going to feel compelled to look to those people that are writing supposedly on Budo But you can't realize or you can't see that they're not. They're just supporting the modern culture. And a big place where this happened, and a big obstacle for modern Aikidoka that are trying to bridge the epistemic rift is the notion of state or realization, which is why I don't use them. So, for example, I use as I already explained, the ego-tripartite mind and the God-mind. But it's apophatic logic. In a posit- positivistic logic, which is modern, you're going to see that people talk about this God-mind state, what so culture would have called in various names, awakening, holy, uh, grace, samadhi, kenjo, all different terms. You're going to see that moderns will start speaking of it as a state or a realization. So apparently you're training and you're going to just have so much intellectual understanding that there's no going back to a pre-state of that intellectual understanding. And yeah, you can look. You can look at the people that are writing in the early 20th century, even the late 19th century, and they're talking like that. So D.T. Suzuki will talk like that. People trying to translate O-Sensei will talk like that. And you'll think like that And it makes sense to the modern discourse. You there in it see the prioritization of the intellectual understanding. You just understand so much that you can't go back. You can see this in Sam Harris. You can see this in even the the push, the modern push towards psychedelics. It's going gonna, it's gonna to get you there. You're going to take this. You're going to ingest this. And it's going to show you the God mind. It's going to give you a non-dual experience. And then that's it. You're going to be free. O- only problem is, you're not. And this is something that pre-modern man knew. They had drugs. They took drugs. Why all the caveats against it? Why the continuing practices? I mean, to put it simple, if the Buddha goes and undergoes all these yogic practices, and then he's like, no, I'm just going to do one practice, silence and stillness. I'm just going to stay here. Okay, and then we're told he has some ultimate realization. Well, why did he keep practicing then? This idea of an of a intellectual realization or a deep understanding you really come to know, that's not it at all. That's not what happens at all. And all you have to do is look around. Just look around. In fact, pre-modern people were practitioners, not brains in a vat, And so I say what you're after, trying to expedite for the modern and trying to, in a way, counter the modern tendencies as they cannot free themselves from their own cultural discourse. I call it a skill. You do not bring a cessation to the ego-tripartite mind once and for all from some intellectual understanding. It's not possible. Intellectual understanding is just a continuation of the functioning of the ego tripartite mind, which means that understanding only reifies the functioning of the ego tripartite mind. There's no ultimate understanding that brings it to a cessation. And moreover, that functioning of the ego tripartite mind is perpetual. In many ways, it is the default setting of how we experience the world. But more than that, it'll come back. It'll reseek seek that experience. And lastly, we're not after a final cessation of that mind. But if you read those modern scholars that were trying to look at these technologies of self, Buddhism, Zen, Chan, Taoism, etc., And they're looking at these traditions through their own modern cultural discourse. When they talked about realization and real understanding and really, really understand. And they're talking about their states. They're talking about a once-and-for-all achievement. And in that once-and-for-all achievement, they're denouncing what was prior to that achievement. And that is dichotomous thought. And that is just part of the ego-tripartite mind. The thinking in states, the dichotomy behind that, the emphasis on intellectual understanding is all just modern discourse. When we talk about the ego tripartite mind, the God mind manifests apophatically. It's not in contest with, no more than yin and yang are. And if you study these Silk Road technologies of self, not from a modern discourse, but if you look at the pre modern discourse, that's what you see. There are two aspects. And our ultimate aim is a reconciliation, not a rejection. So that reconciliation is necessary because the default setting, so to speak, is for the ego-tripartite mind to contest, even with the God-mind, such that it shuts it off, it makes it impossible. But our ultimate aim is a reconciliation of the two minds. And that reconciliation is not a state, it is a skill, it is a technique. Which is why I borrow Michel Foucault's phrase, technology of self. So if you look at what you're trying to develop, you're trying to develop a skill, a skill in what? A skill in reconciling the two minds. Because the nature of the ego tripartite mind is contestation, Much of your practice is going to involve deconstructing the functional elements of the ego tripartite mind. But you must never lose sight that that mind is going to continue functioning and it's going to continue functioning at the cost of the God-Mind experience. The more skillful you are in Budo, the more you can deconstruct that ego-tripartite mind bringing about its cessation and commencing a reconciliation of the two minds. And by skillful here, I mean you can deconstruct that ego-tripartite mind within times and under conditions inside of environments that resist... It's deconstruction. Usually, these are intense environments. These are challenging environments. Because of the nature of the mind is to reify that mind. All challenges to that mind generate more resistance of that mind being deconstructed. This is why Budo uses violence as an underlying element of its praxis. Because violence generates attachment to self because of the natural urge to not become personally extinct. But all the skills, all the practices that develop the skill in Budo, in Budo proper, all work through that stress to the ego tripartite mind. And they use the tried and true Stress adaptation model. It's no different than when you're lifting weights. And in that paradigm, Kihon Waza is really quite low on the, on the training tier. So Kihon Waza, as I've said, for those following us on Patreon, it has to happen on a bed of other practices, practices capable of 24-7 application. So we've mentioned the four disciplines. We've mentioned the need for servitude, for devotion, for meditation, etc. Those have to become the bulk of your day. And you can see how foreign that is to modern Aikido. All you got to do in modern Aikido is show up a few hours a week at best. And then when you show up, just stand up, stand around, and we're going to talk. It doesn't matter if we contradict ourselves physically. As long as you can talk the talk, you're good to go. You can be stiff and weak, immobile. You can yong-yang clash. And you can go home and, and you can alienate yourself from your children. It's all good, as long as you can say the words. You're not allowed in the modern dojo to instruct outside of the building. That's obsessive. That's cultic. That's dangerous. Don't do it. But if you're after the skill of deconstructing the ego-tripartite mind and the nature of that mind is to stay in place and to take every action, every thought, every behavior, every imagination, every aspect of your applying your imagination to take everything and to reify its continuing functioning, If you don't have a 24 7 practice, then there's really no hope for you. Again, that is so foreign to today's Aikido training paradigm, but not to pre modern. In modernity, the idea that the sick mind can cure the sick mind makes sense. In fact, we won't even talk about it. But to pre modern, Man, that is just ludicrous. Their avenue was you have to come in through the body. You have to come in through that part of your existence, of your beingness, that is not wholly of the thing you're trying to fix. The idea that today you could sit in a pew, in a church, and fix your moral self is, would just be hilarity to a pre-modern man. So you're after a skill. And like all skills, the more you practice towards that skill, the better your skill is. And the more intense the environments within which you try to develop that skill, the more advanced your skill is. Those are the training equations. It doesn't change. Because ultimately, it's just the stress adaptation model. And again, the goal is a, reconcil- a reconciliation of the two experiences of the world. How do I reconcile, for example, just take one aspect of the ego tripartite mind, How can I reconcile within myself, within a given moment, a dichotomous experience of the world with a singular unified experience of the world? Now, in these technologies of self, someone, especially a modern, they might go, "Why? why? Why do you need to do that? Well, you can look to these traditions and just summing them up, decades of research. Because that is what you're supposed to do as a human being. And when you don't, you suffer all the other consequences of anything else in nature that's not doing what it's supposed to do. You're out of tune with nature. And then you suffer all the ill effects of that suffering, poor health, poor quality of life, out of conjunction with God's will. Poor relationships, depression, Anxiety, destructive behavior, and passing all of that onto another human being, onto another aspect of nature, animals, the trees, on and on and on. That's ultimately why you do it. And Aikido Aikido Kihonwaza is a yes, a manifestation of that skill. Yes, in that sense, a return to your most natural state as you do it correctly. And yes, as a return to that most natural state, a purification of those ailments I just mentioned from your being. But they are also confirmation exercises. And that's important for somebody who, like a pre-modern practitioner, is actually after a skill, is after a practice, is not solely or even at all after an intellectual understanding. There have always been confirmation exercises. And that is hugely missing from Aikido Kihonwaza today. And from a modern point of view, from a modern discourse, from a modern Aikidoka's point of view, it is important that there be no confirmation aspects to Kihon Waza today. Because if there were, it would be hard to deny or that we're doing it, you know? It would be hard to allow ourselves to believe that we're actually doing the art. So this is how I would answer the first question I, re- I received. Why, is, why do you use the word skill, not the word state? What is the skill you're trying to gain? How do you gain it? Where does Kihonwaza fit into it? Question two. Is Aikido or Budo the only way you can do this. Is it the only way you can develop this skill? The skill of deconstructing the ego-tripartite mind and reconciling the two minds. No, of course not. Those terms and the associated practices and my reason for choosing them, expediting things and addressing the misunderstanding that will come to moderns who have to first learn how to stop seeing with their own cultural fictions. Those are just my way. If you look at the Silk Road, there wasn't one way. There were many, many ways that these Practices were manifested but structurally they're all this way such that a scholar with over decades of research could be able to get past the surface differences and see at the level of practice how they're all geared towards the same thing. Now, With that said, with it being said that there are many ways, this does not make all ways viable. It has to have these paradigmatic elements. And that is not such an easy thing to achieve in our modern culture. And I would press anybody to find it in modernity. Because every practice that I have seen has been corrupted by the modern discourse. If, you, if you've seen it, let me know. But I have not. I'm sure it's out there because as a historian, I know your view is always very limited. But as a historian of thought, I know your modern viewpoint is to look in places where you're being told it is, but it's not there. So for example, you, you are taught And told and convinced that you should look towards your Shihan. And you should look towards your Japanese Shihan. But it's not there. Or you should look towards the popular teachers of today. So you're going to look at the Dalai Lama. It's not there. You're going to check out the self-help gurus and the mindful movements. It's not there. You're going to look for hippie Jesus. That's what you've been cultured to do. This genteel, neutered human being who makes you feel good about yourself. And it's not there. In the real places where it's at, you'll, you'll know them by how your immediate instinct to them is repulsion, is negative. Again, go back to Nietzsche. And go back to the functioning of the ego-tripartite mind. Anything that threatens its functioning is negative. Fear generating, pain generating, discomfort generating. Suffering generating. In all of modern technologies of self... is about that mind continuing to function, which is why all of modern technologies of self is about seeking pleasure and comfort. But you can't look at pre-modern technologies of self and see this priority on pleasure and comfort and joy and happiness. It's just not there. Because there's a deep, if, if I can borrow for a second a modern term, there is a, a deep and more sophisticated psychology in pre-modern technologies of self that has a view of how the ego tripartite mind functions through pleasure and comfort and the absence of suffering. It is no accident that while the Buddha said life is suffering, he also said, I teach both liberation from suffering and suffering. And hence it is no accident that a modern person who goes back to a Buddhist monastic tradition that has kept its pre-modern elements, you will find that extremely painful. So, no, Aikido and Budo is not the only way, but careful with how common and common you think it is. It's never been common. Even in Dogen's time, why'd the guy have to leave Japan and go to China and, 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 retouch and touch base again with the real Zen? Why'd it take him so long if it's always been so common? And that was how long ago? Imagine today. Third question, do you need a teacher? I would say yes and no. The question again comes from the modern discourse. We have to understand it with the pre-modern one. If you believe that if you have a teacher, you're going to thereby develop this skill, The answer is no, you won't. Premodern tradition accepts that the chances are you won't. And who does and who doesn't is, to just sum up multiple expressions of this technology of self along the Silk Road, it's karmically decided. Yes, there's training equations, you have to meet them, but who can meet the training equations is up in the air using modern expression. But they would say it's karmically decided. You, you know. Let's take, let's take one one poetic, one upayic pointer from pre-modern technologies of self. You are in the world but not of the world. Everyone can sort of understand that. But to what degree can you do It's different from person to person. And the, the degree to which you can do it is how high your skill is at deconstructing the ego tripartite mind. This is the backbone, for example, of the Indian yogic, the anchorite tradition. You go off, you leave society, you go off into the woods. Who can do it? Anyone can physically walk from a city out up the mountain, but who can stay there? And under what conditions? No one knows. So these cultures would... Say, it's unknowable, so we'll just chalk it up to karma. Well, the inverse side of this position is, there's no guarantee. There's no guarantee you can receive the teaching. You could have a teacher. But there's no guarantee that that will automatically yield the skill. But if you look at that question, It comes from the modern point of view. If you, for example, want to learn math, go to a teacher. And if you don't get math, what does everyone say? They're just not a good teacher. And you see that in Aikido all the time. The onus of responsibility for a lack of skill in Kihon Waza is on the teacher. I disagree. I've said it many times. It's not. The lack of skill you're seeing is a person not meeting the training equations. And behind that is things like an ability to sacrifice, to remain disciplined, to push through suffering, for example, to rearrange life, family, career, And we might want to say as moderns, well, there's practical aspects. No, there's not. Some people are ready and willing and able to do it, and some people only up to a point. And that doesn't ever change. Even the person that does it all the way, it's still a point. It's a point that they're able to do it at. Everybody comes to the practice and can only do what they are able to do. By which I mean they're they're only able to commit this much. They're only able to sacrifice this much. They're only able to wake up at this hour. They're only able to go to bed at this hour. They're only able to suffer this much pain, this much discomfort. The people that history has recorded Are extraordinary people. They are, by our cultural discourse, obsessive, fanatic, crazy. They ask too much. But that's that ego tripartite mind. And as much as we, in our modern victim mentality, and the egalitarian philosophy that supports our our public education system, and our notions of universal intelligence, all that goes in with that—that that has nothing to do with this development of the skill, and pre-modern man knew that. So their understanding wasn't automatic. You have a teacher, you're going to get it. You need a teacher, just go get a teacher, and you're going to get it. And it's the teacher's fault if you don't. That, that's not it. Their view was, in fact, you probably aren't going to get it. And there's nothing you can do about it because it's just karma. You're just not ready to get it. The only consolation you had was, you know what, though? It's better to try to get it than to continue living under the domination of the unchecked ego tripartite mind. And that's a fact. There is great truth in that. Any inhibition you can bring to the functioning of the ego tripartite mind is a huge grace upon you and the world. And when you look at this master-disciple paradigm from that point of view, how really necessary is the teacher then? Now, again, my survey is, my survey of these traditions of the historical record, and again, with the emphasis to expedite the practitioner in light of the modern predisposition to hinder the praxis, I would put before you, the teacher is not important. So much so, You could have a teacher who doesn't know any of this stuff. Adopt the practices and you will. You could have a teacher who does know this stuff. Do not adopt the practices and you won't. But as you know how the ego tripartite mind functions, you must remain ever vigilant against any repulsion from a teacher as you must for any attraction to a teacher. Fourth question. What is communion with uke? There's a sub-question here. What does it really mean? Again, this is a modern discursive question. You see the, the need to understand. It's not an understanding. It's an experience. It's a feeling for lack of a better word. Why lack of a better word? Because language is binary. And language is a part of the ego tripartite mind functioning. And this is why the God-Mind is an apophatic term. It is a, a negative logic where language does not function, cannot function. So to speak in an expedited way to a person who is trying to engage in this practice from a discourse that is antithetical to it, I use the upayic word feeling. It is a feeling. This does not make it not real. I would put the opposite point of view before you. Feeling is more real than an intellectual understanding that has no physical manifestation whatsoever. Feeling, in fact, is the most real thing you can have. And it was so for these Silk Road cultures. As I said earlier, when we're, when we're talking about Kihonwaza. We're not talking about self defense. We're talking about a misogi ritual. And I describe what that is. It is a return to a pre dichotomous state of what? Of the two minds. When we're talking about uke. We're talking about kihonwaza. There is no uke in street applications or self-defense or sparring so we're talking about self-defense I'm sorry, correction we're talking about Kihonwaza so let me rephrase this question and when we're talking about communion we're talking about Aiki to use the Aikido discourse The way I would put this question is what does Aiki feel like in Kihonwaza? Aiki is an energetic manifestation of the two minds being reconciled. It's not something you achieve, you try to do, you you intend to do. It's not that. In these technologies of self, and to again simplify it for modern people, your humanness has three aspects to it. You have your body aspect, your materiality, you have your energetic aspect, and then you have your mind aspect. That's my term. Sometimes they change this. They change. These are all my terms. Again, why? Because I'm summing up decades of multiple cultures using the same technology of self to expedite a technological use of this practice for people who had been made blind to it by the modern discourse. Pre-modern thought, how they thought, used what I call a concentric epistemology. Again, this was my area of research. Systems of thought in Japanese religious culture, historical Japanese religious culture. Across the Silk Road, your humanness had these three aspects body, energy, mind. Those three aspects were related to each other concentrically. Meaning, as in the body, so at the level of energy, so at the level of mind. And you can mix it up any other way. As in the mind, so as the level of energy, so as the level of of body. One does not lead to the other. That would be your scientific episteme. There's no causal mechanism in pre-modern epistemology because there's no time sequence such that something can precede something else like a cause preceding an effect. Instead Things manifest simultaneously. Again, this is extremely foreign to the modern discourse, but I would put before you the concentric episteme is way more at work, in, even in modernity, than the scientific episteme at the level of daily life. We just aren't allowed to talk about it Nor are we trained to recognize it. In fact, we're trained not to recognize it, not to see it. The concentric episteme is not illogical nor irrational, especially at the level of experience. And I would put before you, if you're like a hardcore logician, that the scientific episteme with a sequential understanding of time, such that cause produces an effect and it is knowable to the observer, is all but impossible to rationalize outside of the abstract mechanisms within the controlled environments of a laboratory. Meaning there is a very irrational attachment to the scientific episteme in our daily lives. And there is a very rational attachment to the concentric one. So, if we take some antithetical understandings or some extreme negative examples, it'll help us understand this other way of thinking. So, as is in the mind, so is at the level of energy, so is at the level of body. Let's say your uke comes in, And you feel threatened by them. You you feel threatened by them because they are other to you. This is how the ego tripartite mind functions. It's experienced dichotomously. Through dichotomy, the ego tripartite mind reifies itself. And as you are experiencing that relationship dichotomously, you can test energetically. So Yang pushes on Yang, for example. And as your mind is concentrically manifesting at the energetic level and vice versa, Yang-Yang clashing, your body manifest that same experience you adopt bracing angles blocks you push on what's pushing on you you pull on what's pulling on you you use force to overcome other force Now, someone might want to say, well, I don't feel like I'm pushing on my uke. Well, let's look a little deeper. Is your uke pushing on you? Because what modern Aikido has done is they've choreographed uke to not push. But if you look, so for example, at the level of body, it looks like uke is not pushing, or naga is not pushing. But at the level of mind, the dichotomy still exists because if the dichotomy did not exist, there would be no need to choreograph uke. And so at the energy level, you again won't see what these cultures have said. You should be able to see at an Aiki level. So, for example, when yin and yang are perfectly reconciled, the dichotomy is reconciled, and so yin and yang cease to exist. In the cessation of yin and yang comes the cessation of the ego-tripartite mind and the god mind, and what manifests then is a... Absence of two-ness. So my arm and uke's arm stop being my arm and uke's arm. And where I touch, the universe treats it as a point of oneness, communion. I don't need uke, to follow my lead, which is dichotomy, which is choreography. Uke and I are one at that point, and there is a physical property that manifests that I, for, again, reasons of expediting in light of moderns who adopt a cultural discourse that makes them blind to the pre-modern technology of self, I call that adhesion. You're stuck. There's like a stuckness that happens, a kind of friction stopping the uke from moving off of that contact point. It is entirely different from leading and following, which is dichotomy, which is in choreography. And it looks different even to the observer, but it definitely feels different to both the practitioner, the nage, and the uke. It feels different. They don't have to have a conscious awareness of where they are in the technique. They don't have to be a certain place, so they don't have to have that thinking aheadness They don't have to have the recognition of what's the fall. What fall am I going to have to take? What technique is this? They just feel stuck. And from the, at the Naga's point of view, that reconciliation of yin and yang energy is concentric with the reconciliation of the two minds the nage is entirely in what moderns might want to call a trance state or a meditative state they're in a pure state as the energetic levels have returned to a pre-yin and yang level the nages experience of the world returns to a pre-division of mind level. Now the Uke, it depends on the skill set of the Uke, at again, what skill, the skill of reconciling the two minds. If the uke does not have that skill, they're still going to be adhered to. There's no need for them to follow. They don't, there's no choreography to take. They don't need to know ukemi in terms of being in the right place at the right time. There's ukemi in the sense that, hey, when I throw you, don't die. Please know how to not land on your head. But even that goes away as you increase the intensity. So as skilled, as a skilled uke, the uke that can allow this to happen, do you see, because they can reconcile the two minds, they get put into that same, for again, lack of better words, meditative state, trance-like state. In essence, what I choose instead to call the mystical state. And this is how Kihon Waza is supposed to function. This is what it does. And it is way more valuable at the individual level of a human being to have your Kihon Waza understood and functioning this way than it is to have it functioning at best metaphorically or to have the dojo function communally or to have your art function as self-defense. Those things are so pale in comparison to understanding Kihon Waza properly as I have just described. Now, with all things, the unskilled Uke is is going to resist the cessation of the ego tripartite mind. And when they feel their mind being coming reconciled, they resist it. And it now resists at the level, at the energetic level. So although they're stuck rather than allowing themselves to move, they will push and pull against the contact point. And you feel that. They feel it. You feel it. To the skilled naga, it just increases the adhesion point. To the unskilled naga, you'll come out of it because it's triggering you. Your ego tripartite mind will begin functioning again. And you enter into contestation. the skilled nāge can continue to adapt to that uke's mind attempting to contest. And you can keep them in that reconciled mind state. And as this non-contestation is happening at the mind level of nāge, it's happening at the energetic level of nage, it's happening at the mind level of uke, it's happening at the energetic level of uke, but it's also happening at the mind level of the nage uke dynamic and the energetic level of the nage uke dynamic. It is also happening physically. So this kind of Aikido never stops, never pushes, never pulls, never loses its balance, does not need a choreography. And all that feels entirely different. But it also looks different if you know what you're looking for, if you don't look at it with your modern discursive eyes. But it will always feel different. doesn't matter who you are. So, it's a real thing. But from the modern point of view it's real in that there is a material aspect to it the body level but it's made more real because there's an energetic aspect to it a feeling and even more real because there's an experiential aspect to it the mind. It's not a metaphor. It's not an analogy. It's not an imagination. It's not an intention. It's not a will. It's not a thought. It's not those things the modern discourse values. The fifth and last question. Again, this one is from Attachment to the modern discourse. If desire is part of the ego tripartite mind. Because, remember, the goal of the ego tripartite mind is to reify the ego tripartite mind. This is why suffering and discomfort, those things we are afraid of, etc., manifest. Well, likewise then, what we desire, comfort, pleasure, etc., are also part of the ego tripartite mind. This is an age-old question. So it's how do how do I train in this? How do I train in reconciling the two minds? How do I train in the skill of deconstructing the ego tripartite mind? When to train in that, I have a desire to develop that skill. Again, this is a modern problem. This does not exist at the level of experience, which is what we're after. And I would say this is like the last throw that the ego tripartite mind has in its discourse. It's like, hey man, I'm not going to try this stuff because it doesn't make any sense. And I spotted a contradiction here. How am I supposed to become desire-free or learn how to become desire-free if I have a desire to become desire-free. Like what? This is the language games of modernity. This is the language games of the history of analytical philosophy that has just taken over to such a degree that moderns don't even know there were other philosophies up until very recently. The whole emphasis that we have today on language... Comes from this ignorance of this history. Language is bullshit. It's who you are, it's what you do, it's not what you say. Who today cannot say? The t shirt slogans of Aikido. Who cannot repeat them? Everyone knows the words. Yet, how many can do Kihon Waza as I described? I haven't seen them. I'm sorry, I haven't. Sure, I've seen the one or two handfuls who can do a kokyu projection, but I have not seen an Aikidoka even amongst those few handful of practitioners that are not the current generation. I have not seen that handful do the Aiki, the adhesion aspect. And when you're practicing and you're developing these skills, You will learn that the COQ projection precedes the IKE adhesion in skill development, and there's a lot of people that can project without ever being able to adhere. Projection is impressive. To the modern observer because the modern observer is plagued by the ego tripartite mind. And they just desire for an overpowering of what they can only understand as contest. You should be more interested in the uke who cannot get unstuck then the ukehe goes flying across the mat. And likewise, why you should have no interest in leading and following and in choreography. Everyone knows the words, so be warned of your language games. If you look at how pre-modern technologies of self-function, they were well aware that desire is part of the ego-tripartite mind. So you would have caveats in the historical record that would uphold some variation of what you would probably popularly know as Wu Wei. But Wu Wei has come to modernity through those scholars, both Asian and Western, who were looking at these pre-modern traditions with modern discourses. So Wu Wei is like non-action, desireless. You, You just extend that idea out a little bit and you get the eunuch, hippie Jesus. No holy man can ever have an erection or like some sweet ass. That's how we moderns know he's fake. He can't ever get angry. He can't yell at you. He can't make you feel bad about you, yourself. This is all bullshit. Bullshit. This is how you just extend this out, and that's how Aikido is nonviolent, which is bullshit. It's not about the art becoming nonviolent, it's about the practitioner learning how to free him or herself from the ego tripartite mind. Because it functions through dichotomy, it functions through contest, and it functions through the will to power. There is no nonviolent aikido. There is only a non violent aikidoka. And that's why you go to dojo all over and you have egos all over the place. People are assholes in dojo. Dojo are filthy, bathrooms are gross. People are cliquish. This is why today you got you got woke Agenda coming out of dojo. Identitarian politics in dojo, where dojo, place of the way, was originally the location for the disintegration of identity. So wu-wei does not mean hippie Jesus like a Ken doll with no penis. Do you get it? It does not mean doing nothing. And you will see that those modern Western and Asian scholars that translated wu-wei as doing nothing, as being desireless, You will see that they were they're following people that misunderstood that concept hundreds of years before them. IQ, for example, was a constant critic. of the trend that was happening during his time. This is hundreds of years ago in Japan. Where people would act, in his words, like jackasses, idiots, to demonstrate their Buddha mind, their skill at moving beyond dichotomy. They would just act like dumb shits. He was very critical of it. Yes, desire is part of the functioning of the ego tripartite mind. Yes, your ego tripartite mind will continue functioning. And as it functions, it will attempt to usurp every aspect of your practice. Yes, that is all true. but you're trying to solve the problem of desire before you engage in the practice, is it winning? It is the ego-tripartite mind winning, which is why some of these Silk Road cultures assign the ego-tripartite mind a personality, a demonic one. Because it functioned like a kind of trickster. It twists everything around. and its sole goal to reify itself, it twists everything and makes it impossible for you to deconstruct it. And, in my opinion, this is one of its greatest tricks, and one of its most demonic acts. You take that question, how do I, how do I reconcile my desire to deconstruct my mind, that in part functions through desire. You take that question and you throw it away. You just start the practice. What you're after is an experience. And that experience is an apophatic one. It is beyond language. And it is beyond dichotomy. And from this perspective of the ego tripartite mind, which means from the modern cultural discourse, because that discourse is a product of the social dominance that the ego-tripartite mind has come to achieve in our time. That experience being beyond language and beyond dichotomy, from this side, from the ego-tripartite mind side of that experience, that experience can only ever appear as paradox. once you commence the practices already listed here briefly but more detail elsewhere the paradox goes away it goes away it's a it's a delusion it's a demonic trick it's a, it's a death throw of the ego tripartite mind. Yes, yes. Meaning it will usurp your practice. No doubt about it, it will. That's what it does. But the solution is meet the training requirements. Meaning engage in the practices more deeply, more fully. And when you do, because those practices are not a practice of the intellect, because they are a practice of the body, because you have body components to your practice, and because you have energetic components to your practice, you can, in a way, come to circumvent that paradox, meaning you can come to experience its absence. If a teacher, going back to that question, if a teacher is valuable at all, it is that they can be a mirror for you as your ego tripartite mind usurps the practice with things like linguistic paradoxes. They can't help there. But the solution is always going to be the same, which is engage in the practices. And that solution, again, as we've already said, it's determined by your karma. How much can you engage in those practices? All right, well, that's how much skill you'll develop. Now, sometimes, especially in answering questions, in attempts to speak briefly on very complicated things, Complicated in the sense that there are many elements to everything being discussed. In answering those kind of questions with people who are far from me, across the globe, or even on my mat, but not aligned for proximity, proximity, I speak almost mechanically, coldly, perhaps coming off rough or harsh without feeling or caring for the trials of the one asking the question. There is, yes, I can see a coldness to my use of the phrase training equations and my referencing to a historical understanding of the role karma plays. And one might think that they can't do it they don't have it in them, and then that there's no point. And in that sense, I can come off as discouraging. But if you look at how I keep answering your questions, I keep receiving them, without resistance I think it's more accurate to say no he's not so cold and mechanical otherwise he would have not answered me at all or again or won't the next time But you know I will. So I would say you should always do your best. Do whatever you can. Never feel like you can't. Never feel like there's no point to it. There is a point to it. And it's the greatest point of all. And there's no one alive or that has ever lived who did not do only what they could do. And that means there's no difference between us and the Buddha. And you, you can only do what you can do, and you, you must do what you can do. You have to. But you can do it knowing that the difference between having done what you could do and not doing what you can do is an eternity of space-time. If you were to take the worst-case scenario poetically and you say, I can't climb out of hell. I don't have it in me. I would tell you that the hell that you sit quietly in and the hell where you keep reaching up are two entirely different places. And they are so different that they are indeed as different as heaven is from hell. So do what you can and always do what you can. It's all we ever do. This concludes this episode of Budo, the Way of the Warrior podcast. For more information, please visit com, S-E-N-S-H-I-N-C-E-N-T-E-R dot com or find us at Facebook at Sensioncenter.com and on our YouTube channel at Senshin One. Thank you for listening.